0: Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Engaging the Impossible, and it is part of the Impossible Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, check us out at our website at bccma.org or send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Good morning. I'm Pastor Phil, and uh, I wandered out in this depths of sin and degradation until I was six. Yeah. As proof, I was caught stealing two balloons from the five and dime store in Farmerville, Texas. But I was a, I was a benevolent thief because I got one for me and one for my brother. <laughs> Christmas spirit, man. Well, there's two, two people that, the, really three, four, if you wanna include Joseph, but two couples that the Christmas story is contingent upon. Mary, Joseph, Zacharias, and Elizabeth. Zacharias and Elizabeth were, it was a cousin of Mary. And so their son, who would later be John the Baptist, would be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He would be the cousin of Jesus Christ. So it was critical that John be born and become the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the one who would announce his coming. It was prophesied that he would be, come in the spirit of Elijah. And of course, it was critical that Mary would have baby Jesus, and he would be the Savior of the world. <clears throat> I want to rely on your memory of the Christmas story a little bit and not read all the scriptures related to it. And, uh, but I would encourage you to read that. I would encourage you, when you go home today, tonight before you go to bed, uh, Even I, I would encourage you, open your Bible now. In fact, that's really always a good thing to do. Uh, you can, if, you're on the, your, if you're on your device and you, you're on your phone, you can see the app and you see the notes there. You can also switch back and forth to your, one of your Bible apps, a version or Bible Gateway or one other version that you have. I just encourage you to look at the Scripture while the preacher is preaching and see what you see in the text. So you can scan down the text and you can see. But, in, but anyway, I encourage you to reread the Christmas story. Reread, re-read, re-read Luke chapter 1 and 2. And uh, for some of you, maybe you haven't read it from the scripture before. You've just heard it. So this would be a good thing for you to do. But we're going to go to Luke chapter 1, verse 37. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me just as you have answered. Then the Lord left her. The angel Gabriel has appeared to her, told her that she would give birth to a child. And she's questioning, of course, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will conceive and your child will be uh, Emmanuel, God with us. He will save his people from their sins. Then we jump down uh, or we, we, we go to Luke, we, back, we go to verse 5. We've actually started after Luke 5, of course, 1-5. We started with Luke one thirty-seven. so let's go back to Luke 1-5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea. Underline uh, in the time of Herod. That's going to be important later in the message. King of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulation blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Impossible. Synonyms for impossible or Inconceivable, that's very appropriate in this story. Hopeless, unbearable, unimaginable. I like the simple definition from the Strong's Greek concordance. Impossible means to be unable. So today I want to invite you to discover that there is hope for the impossible when when we become willing to engage with it. When we become willing to engage with the unchangeable negatives in our lives, because that's what this story is about. It's about two people who when God came to them, in spite of their frail humanity, in spite of their impossible circumstances, they were willing to engage with the impossible. I want this to be personal to you. This story, the Christmas story is about you. It's not just about God and Jesus and Mary and Elizabeth and Joseph and Zechariah. The Christmas story is about you. What about your negative unchangeables? What about the things in your life that you are unable to do? Unable to have the broken intimacy in your marriage or the unforgivable offense or the irresolvable conflict? A shattered dream or some chronic pain? Are you willing to engage with the impossible? <laughs> uh, as some of you know, I like to talk about my physical ailments because then I get uh, prayers and pity and, and uh, different, different things, benefits from that. Uh, years, quite a while ago, I talked about this fact that I have no cartilage in this left knee. So I guess cartilage is not all it's cracked up to be. I do pretty well without it. <laughs> and uh, 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 Susie here in the front row brought me some uh, some stuff one time that they that that uh, soothe the it's What uh, it's what uh, uh, what do you call those people that work on horses and stuff? Yeah, they they use it on animals, <laughs> horses and stuff. And it really is pretty good stuff, man. It's amazing. But I'm I'm, I'm, I'm in physical therapy, and the physical therapist looked at me the other day, and she said, well, I want to know about what do you do at the gym. And I told her what I do at the gym. And I said, I do some resistance training. Obviously, I don't do too heavy of resistance training, but I do resistance training. And uh, uh, what about aerobic? And I, well, I only do about 10 minutes of that because of, because of my knee. She said, well, I want you to increase your aerobic. I want you to build up, I want you to build up your endurance. And I said, but I don't have any cartilage on my knee. She would not even talk about it. She, she just stared at me like, so? So I try to do what I'm told. You know, it's a big investment in my physical health, so I try to do what I'm told. So I'm like, I'm, I'm doing like 10 minutes on the bicycle, right? That's all I do, because, not because I can't handle aerobic exercise but because my knee starts to hurt. So I do like 10 minutes on the bike just to kind of warm up and then I go do some weights. And I now my father-in-law here I, he's very intimidating because he does like 45 minutes on the bicycle and when he when I, I go beside him at the gym I look like a wimp because I'm there 10 minutes and I'm off and he's still going and he's 86. <laughs> and so I uh, I said okay I, I, okay I'll do that and so I go the next time I went the next day I did 15 minutes and then I have elliptical at home you know with, that we use for for drying clothes on. <laughs> you have one of those, right? It's, a great, it's great for drying clothes and you don't want to put them in the dryer. <laughs> so I got the clothes off of it. And, and, uh, so I had to go to the gym every day, and I, the next day I did 20 minutes. And the next day I did 25. And the next day I did 30. And the next day I did 35. Friday I did 40 minutes. <laughs> And I went back to see her. I said, I don't believe it. I said, my knee's not hurting. It, 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 my knee has not felt better in years. I don't, now I'm not saying I've had a miracle. Don't, don't, don't saint me or anything. Or, or don't saint my physical therapist, St. <laughs> saint, uh, saint Ruth. Uh, don't say her either. I don't say, I'm not saying I have a miracle. I'm not saying God has created cartilage on me. I I hope so. That's when I go back someday to have it x-rayed. I hope there's cartilage there and I will let you know that happens, man. You'll be the first to know. But my point is, my point is, if you want to have progress in life, you've got to be willing to engage with that which you're unable to do. You've got to be willing to dance with difficulties. Some of you aren't making any progress because you don't engage with pain. You don't engage with stress well. We're going to talk about it today. I'll try not to be too hard. This is a Christmas series, okay? So we'll try not to be slap your wrist too hard. We'll try to keep it light. But I want you to discover this. Uh, Years ago, uh, I had this friend named John Mallory who pastored this church in Miami, and uh, I, I remember John well, because he was the only pastor I remember, but, but we used to do bus ministry. That used to be a big thing. Churches would buy bu- yellow buses and go pick up all kids and bring them to church. But John bought one of those double-decker buses like they have in London, and he was the only guy I knew ever bought a bus like that. Another thing that's more remarkable about John is uh, uh, Casey, uh, uh, now, now the older folks like me will remember Casey and the Sunshine Van. The, uh, well, part of the uh, uh, disco era, you know, and the KC and the Sunshine Band. KC was a member of that church. And obviously he was not a Christian, but his father was on this board there. So that's the kind of things I remember, why I remember John Mallory so much. But I, here's another reason I remember John. Is one time in his church, they got really, really heavily in debt. And they had this great big mortgage on the church. They borrowed all this money to build, and they couldn't pay it. The money wasn't coming in to pay it. And he kept engaging with the bank and talking to the bank, and, and, and he just, you know, he, they couldn't pay it. So, in the meantime, now this doesn't seem to relate, but I'll, I'll tie them together in a second. This woman in this church is coming to church on Sunday morning, and she sees a homeless guy on the side of the walk, and she feels led of the Holy Spirit to pull over and invite him to church. So, she pulls over and invites this homeless guy to church, and the homeless guy gets in the car and he goes to church. It, at this church in Miami. The guy goes to church. He accepts Jesus Christ. He gets saved. He gets, he gets his life cleaned up, and he puts his life back together. And his life begins to be fairly normal, you know? So one day, John gets a cough in the bank, and he, when he hears the banker's voice, he's, he thinks to himself, this is it. This is the day they're calling on the loan, on the, our church loan. And the banker goes, hey, Pastor John, you did it. What do you mean you did it? What do you mean we did it, he said. Well, you paid off your mortgage. What do you mean? This homeless guy who had become a Christian was a multimillionaire whose family had been able to separate him from his money when drink caused his alcoholism, put him out on the streets, And when he got his life back together and got his life back together, he had access to his money and he went down to the bank and paid off the church's mortgage. So, (laughs) would you please, would you please, if you have to drive to Woonsocket or Worcester, go get some homeless people and bring them to church. (laughs) Today I'm not so much talking about seeing it happen as I am talking about, we're going to get to that. I'm talking about being willing to let God bring up the subject that you have buried. You might, it might even be touchy, but the Holy Spirit is suddenly interested in it. The Christmas story starts with a virgin in a highly regulated religious culture. <laughs> what, I, what I mean, if she's pregnant, this is a highly re- regulated religious culture, almost like an Islamist culture. This was... Not a good idea on God's part. Now, you ever tell God he's got a bad idea? I do that all the time. God, this is a really bad idea. <laughs> you shouldn't be doing this. And then you got two senior citizens who must save the world. Here's a virgin in a highly regulated religious culture and two senior citizens who must save the world by producing two babies. No problem, right? Regular problems abound in life, or we all have regular problems. I mean, every day there's problems. I mean, when you you, you get out of bed, there is even problems before you get out of bed. There's just problems, man. There's just problems. I mean, it, it, every day, I just you know, I'm going I've got my day plan. I'm gonna I, I'm gonna get there at uh, eight thirty at the office and get work on that sermon, and then uh, uh, and, and I'm not blaming Sherry for this. She, she's not doing anything wrong. She just brings up something. As I'm starting to walk out the door, oh, so I got to go deal with that. And that's an hour and a half. And then I get to the office and the internet's not working. And then I, the, 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 my computer won't find the printer. And, you know, the plumbing, some plumbing thing's going wrong. So it's noon and I still haven't looked at my text. That's life, man. It's, you know, I don't have, I don't have any, I'm not amazed at pessimist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not amazed. I'm surprised there isn't more pessimism. Because life is hard. Life is just, life is just a lot of problems. It's just problems every day, right? Regular problems are enough to make any of us pessimists or any of us EORs. It's just enough. Most of us in this room have not been knocked down so many times, and we're still able to smile and laugh and be helpful and be productive and even be optimistic about the future. You should give yourself a standing ovation. Really, you should give yourself a standing ovation. All right, let's do it. If we're going to do it, let's do it. Stand up and give yourself a standing ovation. That's for you. You, you're the hero. I'm not kidding. I know your stories. I know a lot of your stories. You are really, I, seriously, you're amazing that, that, you're, that you smile and you laugh and you clap and you support and you give and, and you see the glass half full a lot of times. And that's just, that's just great. But, but the Christmas story gets into another stratosphere of problems. It's described in one place in Luke 24 as distress with perplexity. Perplexity, I, I've always been fascinated with that word in Scripture when I saw it the first time years and years ago. Because perplexity, I found out, means a problem without a solution. See all these other problems, the printer not working right, the, the, the plumbing, the a lot of our aches and pains they have they have some solutions or some ways that we can live with them we can always there's always ibuprofen right we can deal with them perplexity means a problem though so i'm talking about how the unchangeable negatives in our lives affect us how do you engage with the unchangeable negatives in life with what attitudes do you dance with the difficult with the improbable and the impossible the Christmas story, you know, has been—it's been romanticized and idealized, and it's been uh, uh, glamorized by the marketplace and by religion itself. Uh, probably because of our, our, our own natural adver- uh, aversion to gore and our aversion to suffering, and, and, and we, we want to put our suffering out of sight. Understandable that we want to do that, but the biblical account doesn't glamorize it or idealize it or, 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 or romanticize it at all. The biblical account is a gut-wrenching account of adversity that stretched people to the limit of their endurance. And if you're going to take this journey with God, you're going to have to get into the ring with perplexity. The word translated perplexity, in fact, Luke, in Luke 24, is also found in the recounting of the Advent story when described Herod's state. And we'll talk about him later in the series. Zechariah's demeanor, that word, I see the word perplex, the same Greek word. I see it there when it described how Zechariah felt, and although the word is not used when telling Mary's story, she certainly expressed it when she said, Lord, how can this be? How can this be? This is a problem without a solution. Well, we're talking today about getting in the ring with adversity, getting in the ring with perplexity. We're talking about rumbling with Unchange, what seems to be unchangeable in your life and in the world around you. And I want to give you, to give you three things that our scriptures illuminate for us. <clears throat> One is this. God's timing for engaging with the impossible was inconvenient. <clears throat> Have you ever noticed that God's timing is not ever good? Good. When, when, you know, I I remember one time, it was it was my day off. It was it was I think it was Friday or maybe those days was a different day. It was a long time ago, but I remember a situation that I, I felt was existing here and here in the church, and uh, I was going to deal with it when I got around to it, kind of a thing. And and I I'm driving to Worcester to meet. A pastor friend for breakfast that day, and I, I. I think that yeah, that was cassette tapes. That's been a while. So <laughs> I, I put a cassette tape in. It to listened to John Maxwell. Uh, I used to get a tape a month from John Maxwell, and so I didn't pay attention to the tape. But it was about facing the giants in your life, killing the giants. And he started talking about you got to do it now. If you wait till tomorrow, the giant will grow. The giant will have children. <laughs> And I knew what I had to do. I said, "I got to deal. With this is this is not the day I want to deal with that. This is the day I want to take off today." But I, I I dealt with it, and God really really great blessings came out of that day. Huge blessings. I can't talk about it today, but huge blessings came out of the fact that I went and dealt with it that day. Ecclesiastes 11:4 says a very interesting thing. A couple of verses. I could have given you ten verses, but I only give you a couple that talk about this matter of of honoring honoring. God's invitation. Honoring God's invitation to engage with the impossible when it's not a good time. (laughs) Ecclesiastes 11.4, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. And then John 4.35, you have a saying. Four months till the harvest, but I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields Ready for harvest now. So God is telling us that that's just the way it's always going to be. That the time to deal with problems is never going to be right. It's never going to be the right time to have that talk, that confrontation. It's never going to be the right time to answer that call to go share Christ with someone. To answer that call to go invite someone to church. It's never going to be the The circumstances are never going to be right. The planets will never line up for you to have that reconciliation with your spouse. The, the planets will never line It will never be the right day for that. I, I, I underline, in fact, I'm going to show it to you in, in bold letters, in the time of Herod. In the time of Herod. Do you know anything about Herod? Herod was a client king, they called him. He was called a governor, but they, he was like a client Roman king who was ruling over Israel in behalf of the Roman government. He was a tyrant. He was a he was an ambitious tyrant. He was um, uh, prolific in the building projects that he did, and 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 the credit to his ability was there. But he but but his uh, his cruelty was—he—he he was something like Kim, Kim Jong Il in North Korea. He really was. He—he he killed several members of his own family, murdered several members of his own family, including his own wife. And he later, as we would see, and when he heard the news that the Christ child had been born, he had murdered. If you can imagine that—I mean, think a minute. Let yourself. It's hard, and it's not—it doesn't feel good to think about it, but. Just let yourself imagine being the person who would give the order to go murder, execute every little boy two years of age and under in the greater Milford area. Just imagine that you gave that order. What kind of person would it take? What kind of person would it take to tell his, his soldiers and his police officers and, and, and his gestapo what kind of person would it take to say I want you to go execute every boy two years of age and under God said I'm going to solve the problems of the world I'm going to solve the problem of sin in the time of Herod not a good time the Romans were occupiers. Civil rights were non-existent. The religious leaders were corrupt. I've already talked about the immoral, homicidal, egomaniacal, egomaniacal Herod. And as we said earlier, one woman was a virgin at a time when illegitimate pregnancy would get you stoned. And oh yeah, she had a fiance, a fiance who would probably break off the engagement that would even increase the public shaming and might even further risk the chances she would be prosecuted. Talk about inconvenience, God! Your timing is horrendous. The inconvenience of, you know, wrong socio-political conditions. <laughs> We're always waiting. Oh, we got to get the we we, we got to get America just lined up. We've got to get the right party in power. We, we've got to get the, 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 the we've got to get the president and the and the Congress that honors religious liberty most and most legislates against uh, uh, that which is not consistent with biblical morals and values and and we got to get all the right people on the Supreme Court We've got to get that lined up, God. We've got to, you've got to do that. We've got to get all the people in all the, all the uh, district courts and, and federal courts across the land and all the right people, the people who have similar values to the church and the people who are, who are constitutionalist and literalist with the Constitution. When we, when we get all of that lined up, then God, maybe you can come and do something. God says, I'm a right now God. I'm a right now God. I can do it. I I I, I God manifest His greatest miracles in, in Israel's history in Babylon. Do you understand that God manifests His greatest power in Babylon? God showed up in a lion's den. God showed up in a fiery furnace. God showed up at the Red Sea. God showed up in Egypt when they were doing the same thing that Herod was doing. God is ready to show up in your life now. We we want everything to line up. God got to get all of my relatives lined up. Got to get all my relatives lined up so they agree with this decision. I know we're thinking about going and getting committed to that church, but Aunt Susie she's not good with it, and Mom's not good, and they're going to think this and they're going to think that, and we just got to get everybody lined up. You know what? God says God says it's go time, and we. You know, some of you wonder why why Sherry is so effective and why she gets so much done. It's really simple. She knows when it's go time, and when it's go time, Sherry's going to go. If she's sick, she's going to go anyway. And I'm not advising everybody to be as ruthless with their own body as Sherry is. I really, am. I, I, I can't, I can't match her, uh, uh, her, her, uh, her going sometimes. But, uh, but I admire her for it, and I, and I know it's why she's effective. is because she doesn't give herself excuses. There just there are no excuses with her. I admire that about her. I, I absolutely believe that rest, leisure, holy things to engage in, but you've got to know when it's a season of sacrifice. If you want to engage when possible, you got to know when it's time to go. I, I've i told this story before, I think, but uh, I'll never forget a, a little Frenchman that I used to preach for named Roy Drum. And, uh, Roy, Roy Drum, would, he was funny. He was a funny guy. He looked like Mr. Magoo. And, and he would... He would say, they had a commercial in those days called, I forget the gasoline, but it was called, it would put a tiger in your tank. Remember that? Exxon. Huh? Exxon. Exxon would put it on. He your tank. He said, I, he, he would, Brother, Pastor Drum would say, I don't have a tiger in my tank, but I got the Holy Ghost in my drum. As he he's always say. And I remember one time showing up to preach for him, and I had this massive earache. Man, my ear was killing me. And I thought he was going to feel sorry for me. I, you know, and, we, we, like, and some of you don't know anything about this culture of revival culture that I grew up in. But, but they would invite a young kid preacher like me, and I would preach every night. Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. And I would do my thing every night. and Preach and play the piano and sing and give altar calls and pray. And it, was, it was a great time. It was fun. It was, it was good. And so I don't know what I'm going to do. And he says to me, Phil, don't tell the people. That you have an earache, or they'll feel sorry for you. I'm like, what? Don't tell the people you have an earache or they'll feel sorry. So okay. I'm like, I'm like I am with a physical therapist, you know. I'm I I have up to a point I have a very compliant nature. And then I'm very stubborn. So I don't know. I don't know who we're you'll know when you cross the line, okay? (laughs) Uh, but but I, I think I'm pretty high on the agreeable scale. It's just my natural way of approaching life, which is not always good, but it's, it, it is what it is. So, I, okay. And, you know, I, I get up there. I remember the first night they introduced me, and I took one step. My ear quit hurting. I was like, whoa. And, and I've never been one of those big old, you know, word of faith guys who so confess that I don't have an earache. And I, so I don't have an earache. I just never, that never worked. So... I I could I, I preached, did my thing, went back to the place where I was staying, and the ears started hurting again. It hurt all night, all night the next day. The next night, I get introduced, I take a step, it stops hurting. I preach, I sing, I walk off the stage, go back to the room, it starts hurting again for, for a week. <laughs> what I'm telling you is is God will do... Amazing things if sometimes you just have to not be so afraid of pain. Sometimes you have to be not so afraid of stress. You know, our generation has heard so much about self care, self esteem, self worth, self realization, self talk, self blah blah blah, self self self. We've heard so much about this that we've forgotten how to struggle. We've forgotten about self-sacrifice. Could it be, and I'm not sure, I'm not trying to be a sociologist or a psychologist, but could it be that our high suicide rate and our mass shootings have something to do that we're not equipping people to deal with stress, suffering, hardship? Could it be that we're not expecting to dance with the difficult, much less the impossible? You know, Perhaps my dad's generation went too far in the matter of self-neglect. <laughs> that generation, they didn't talk about their angst or their problems. You know, they, they were called the silent generation for a reason. But I tell you something, and I'm not saying we need to go that far. Don't misunderstand me. But they built the interstate highway system. They built the greatest military power in the world. They built the electric water and sewer infrastructure that keeps the country humming. <laughs> They built, for good or bad, they built a massive entertainment industry. They laid the the foundation for the technological revolution that we're all enjoying. I'm not saying we're a generation of slackers, but let's be grateful, and let's once in a while be them. Okay, my father-in-law, I refer to him quite a bit when I'm preaching, and mom too, and he's he's here on the second row, and. He grew up on a Minnesota farm, and uh, what, I don't know, maybe I can get a, can I get a hot mic here? Is this hot? Yeah, oh, it's hot, sure. Uh, when it was, I, I, didn't, I didn't plan this, so, uh, when it was time, you, you guys grew wheat, right? Yep. How, many, how many acres? Uh. Well, we had a government allotment that how much we could plant, and it was probably maybe as much as 160 acres max. Okay, Ooh. so so grew wheat. When it was harvest time, what was your schedule? Harvest wheat. Yes. Yeah. or anything. Harvest wheat. That's what your schedule was. <laughs> huh. What time did you get up? Uh, as quick as, well, we probably were up at four because you had milk cows first. Had cows first. And then as quick as the dew would leave, then you'd go out and harvest wheat. And you could harvest usually until 11 o'clock at night. So you would go from four in the morning till 11 at night? Sometimes. Yep, because the wheat ruled. <laughs> the harvest ruled. Yep, and even more so the cows. <laughs> even the cows. <laughs> Cows rule because you got to milk them twice a day. Well, what's, what's happening though in my generation, when you know what we've done, we've raised feelings to the level of irresistible force. We've raised our feelings to the level of irresistible force. They didn't have that issue. The wheat rule, the harvest rule, the need rule, the problem rule, solving the problem rule, not how they felt. Because if they had gone with how they felt, the wheat would have rotted and they would have starved to death. And so maybe we could borrow. I'm not suggesting that we should repent for being uh, boomers and millennials. I'm not suggesting that we should not feel good about what we've brought to the table. We should feel good. We've brought things to the table. We've, We've created iPhones, man. We've created iPads. (laughs) We've created video games. So we should feel good about ourselves, right? (laughs) We've done something important. But we should once in a while realize that some of the great things that God has for us, some of the miracles that he has for us are behind the door called stress, behind the door called difficulty, behind the door called pain, behind the door called adversity, and if you and I would be willing to engage with the impossible, I believe God could start doing more of the impossible. Do you mean that? Do you believe that, folks? Amen. Do you believe that today? Amen. God's timing is always perfect for his purpose. Acts one seven, God said to them, The Father is the only one who has the authority to decide times and dates. Jesus said to them, the Father is the only one who has the authority. So we engage with the difficult. We engage with the, with, the, with the problems because we respect God's timing. So the second thing is engaging with the impossible was uncomplicated, clear, and possible. Oh, you say, I thought it was engaging with the impossible. No, what God asked them to do was possible. God always asked you and me to do something that's possible understandable. Difficult, but possible. You can get up at four in the morning and work till 11 at night. You don't want to. I don't want to. That's difficult, but it's possible. God will stretch us in the area of possible. But I I love, you know, Jesus, I I love that Jesus was always asking people to do uncomplicated things. And, And it hit me as I'm studying this this week. You know, the Bible is just, Jesus never asked anyone to do anything that they had to go do a seminar for or a webinar. <laughs> Did you ever notice that? Are, are you with me today? You, you, seem, you seem like you've already had a lot of eggnog or something. <laughs> you, you seem like, or, or maybe it's the uh, tryptophan, the hangover from the turkey, I don't know. But, but we can relax here today. Are, are we having fun? And yeah. the house will go, okay. I'm going to be done. So Some of you are worried because I look like I'm having too much fun and you're getting worried. The parade's at two, Phil. The parade's at two. But Jesus was always asking people to do simple stuff like take up your bed and walk. Stretch out your hand. <laughs> Go wash this mud out of your eyes that I just put in your eyes. Bring the boy to me. Forgive if you have aught against any. Remove the stone. That's the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus is dead. Take away the stone. Difficult stuff, but all simple, clear, understandable dual. Take a moment right now and think about where you need a breakthrough and acknowledge what you know you could do. Not what you want God to do, but what you know you could do Close your eyes and do that. Just think. Close your eyes. I'm going to be silent for 40 seconds. Got it? Got it? Did you think of something that you could do? It's not, see, it's not great big change the universe to make things happen. All Mary had to do was say yes. (laughs) <laughs> that's all she had to do. That just blows my mind that God sent the Son of God to save the world from sin because a young woman said, okay, I'll be that person. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can use my body to bring the Savior into the world. Zechariah didn't do quite as well as Mary because he kind of said, "What? I don't know. How how is this going to happen?" And God had to make him deaf uh, uh, or mute until until the, the child was born. But even there, God didn't really ask him to do much more than he was already doing. I love that. God, I love what, see what, here's what God does and here's what we need maybe to rediscover. And I know it seems like I'm doing a lot of uh, retro uh, stuff this morning and, and, and nostalgia about what it used to be, but we used to talk in the church about a burden, God giving us a burden. And I think that is such good language for what God wants to do. And I, I'm going to get to the points, so I see my time is slipping away. Uh, I want to quote a great Chinese Christian named Watchman Nee. And he talked about, he really understood, more than anybody I know, how spirituality felt. How it felt inside of us. And when I would read Watchman I would think, oh, that's how I feel. I, I don't always have a scripture and verse for that, but that's how I feel. Here's what he said. All real works begin first with a burden in the spirit. We should drop everything and study the burden. After we understand the meaning of the burden, we should walk according to what we know. When everything is accomplished, the burden will be gone from us. Believers must not be misled to think that all spiritual works are happy and joyful, nor should they think that once there is some kind of burden, they have lost their spiritual experience. It is very fortunate that believers do not realize that the burden in the spirit is the source of real spiritual work. I'm praying today that God will give every one of you a burden this Christmas season. And you won't won't be able to rest until you discharge it. The third thing and the final thing is engaging with the impossible proved both human potential and divine omnipotence. Here's how God works. It's really cool how God works. What's great for you, great for the people around you, and great for the world defines why God is inviting you to engage with the impossible. The adolescent part of my brain and your brain just wants to have fun. And that's okay. It's, you, you need to stay young at heart. But your real self, the one that builds things that other people want to buy, that wants to be useful, your real self wants to be useful. It, it's, it's in the great pickup game of life. Remember pickup games? I guess I'm just being so nostalgic, I can't believe it. Uh, we used to play pickup games. We would meet in a park, we'd meet in a lot, vacant lot. And, you know, the, 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 the alpha males in the group, it was all guys, the alpha, the, the alpha males, would, I'm the captain, another alpha male, I'm the captain, and they would pick teams. And, man, when, when you, you know, I never got, I never was the captain, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but, but I was always saying, pick me, pick me, pick me. You didn't want to feel, you didn't want to be the last one picked. That, man, that felt awful when they picked everybody and you're standing there you know that they don't think you're that useful in helping win the game. And that's what human beings want. We want to be useful. That's, what, that's what's gnawing in your spirit. Is we, we, God, God doesn't want to use you. You want to be used. You want God to use you. Everybody in this room, in the depth of your heart, if I could strip away all the materialism and all the stuff and all the stuff you've learned, if I could strip all the selfishness away from you and get to your heart of hearts and get down inside of your soul, I would hear a little voice saying, I want to be used of God. So God has a deal. To en- See, First of all, let me say this. To engage with the impossible, we must trade the right to do what we want in order to become what we want to become. Let me say it again. I don't think I said it quite right. To engage with the impossible, we trade the, we trade the right to do what we want to do in order to become what we want to become. In this negotiation of engaging with the impossible, we come to the understanding that both our greatness and God's greatness is manifest. Do you hear that? Our greatness and God's greatness. Do we love Mary? She's venerated, man. The the, the Roman Catholic Church has venerated her. I don't agree with that theology, but I like the idea. I like what it represents that that a young virgin who said yes to God, who said yes to God, has been elevated as high as you could possibly elevate a person in the religious world. Nobody talks bad about Mary, because She entered a deal with God that God said, I'll make you great, and I will be great, and the world will be better. Hallelujah. I'm just getting excited here today. Hallelujah. (laughs) Merry Christmas. (laughs) Conclusion. You love the word conclusion, don't you? That's the best part of the sermon, conclusion (laughs) conclusion. In theory, at least, God could send the armies of heaven and make short work of the forces of darkness. In theory, he could have done that, but he didn't create us. He didn't create us to be mere recipients of victory. He created us to be instruments of victory. He made a deal. He made a covenant with us in Genesis that said, you, humans, will rule and take dominion over the earth. And God doesn't ever go back on his deals. God doesn't ever go back on his promises. Nothing can stop God from being what he originally intended to be, and nothing can stop him from making you what he originally intended for you to be. And what he originally intended to to be was that human beings would take dominion over the earth And so that has not changed. And that's why he picked Mary. And that's why he picked Zacharias and Elizabeth and Joseph. That's the Genesis covenant. Ephesians 3.10, listen carefully. Through Christians like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. We, the privileged and chosen, are included in this amazing adventure of engaging with the impossible. I want you to bow your heads. I want to pray for you. Because I want you. Don't underestimate that little thing that God is asking you to do. It's not about going and changing the United Nations or the Supreme Court. Or the President of the United States. It's about you doing that little thing in your little sphere of influence or big or medium. Whatever it is, I don't care. But it's about you doing that next thing that God wants you to do. I mean, it could be something as simple for you. Some of you, you're going to go help out at Santa Parade. It could be that simple. But I'm going to pray right now that you will have the courage to go Engage the impossible and do the very l- l- simple, clear thing. Show the love. Have the conversation. Give the gift. Give the money. Whatever it is that God is calling you to do. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to our hearts and change our lives. May we not see this a negative. May we not see the fear of the Lord as something that we would quake in fear because we fear you're going to destroy us, but we would quake in reverence and awe. Ah, that you would include us in your awesome plan bless this day bless our witness to the town of milford god where we know what it's about it's not about coffee hot chocolate it's not about the symbols that that mean so much to them but it's about our love for them and that we're bringing them a savior and we're we're jesus in the flesh today in jesus name Amen. God bless you. Enjoy the day. Worship team, give us some walking music.